From the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, this is Better Off, a podcast about the biggest public health problems we face today. The era has been defined by buildings that are no longer designed for people, as crazy as that sounds. And the people innovating to create public health solutions. And we know when you bring in more outdoor air, you reduce things like sick building syndrome. I'm your host, Anna Fisher-Pinkert. The COVID-19 pandemic has put a huge spotlight on public health. Suddenly, we're all learning about R-naught values and hand hygiene, as well as health disparities and the reasons that some get better care than others. Public health is so much larger than this current crisis, but the coronavirus really opened my eyes, and I think a lot of other people's eyes, to how important public health is and how fragile our good health can be. Public health is about stopping the spread of disease, but it's also about how we make sure that everyone has what they need to thrive. And today, we're going to talk about two things that we basically can't live without, fresh air and safe shelter. So take a deep breath in and let it out, because today we're better off with Joseph Allen, healthy buildings expert. We spend 90% of our time indoors. We are an indoor species. This is Joseph Allen. He's an associate professor at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And I'll often ask people to, you know, play a little game here. And uh, nobody likes this because it's public math and disclose your age. But I say, take your age and multiply it by 0.9. That's how many years you've lived indoors. And nobody likes to do it. So I'll do it myself. I'm 45. It means I've lived 40 years of my life indoors. And if you stop and think about it that way, it does change your perspective and say, wait a second, what is this air we're breathing inside and how does that influence my health? Fine, I'll play too. I am almost 36 years old, which means that I have spent over 32 years indoors. And I'm surprised by that, but it doesn't seem like a big thing to worry about until you hear this. The majority of your exposure to outdoor air pollution actually occurs from the air you're breathing indoors. Joe explained that typically 50% of outdoor air pollution gets inside our homes. But that's the air you're breathing 90% of the time. So over the course of your life, you've probably breathed in more polluted air indoors than outdoors. And the reality is that indoor air pollutants can be three, five, ten times higher than outdoor air pollution, which I think surprises most people. Pollutants released from cleaning products, cooking, smoking, and other everyday activities can build up indoors. Even dust from old furniture can release toxic compounds into the air. Joe Allen's book, Healthy Buildings, How Indoor Spaces Drive Performance and Productivity, which he co-authored with Harvard Business School's John D. McEmber, explores all the ways that buildings have become sick and how we can start to make them healthy again. Probably it's worth stepping back for a second to think about uh, how we got to this place where we even needed to write a book called Healthy Buildings, because the reality is we have been in the sick building era. So what does that mean? Um, Starting in about the late 70s, due to the energy crisis, the global energy crisis, we started tightening up our building envelope, stopped letting them breathe, bringing in less outdoor air. Offices and apartment buildings became all about saving energy on heating and cooling without much thought to ventilation. And it was right shortly after that that we first saw this term sick building syndrome appear. This is uh, symptoms related to time spent in underperforming indoor environments like 
headaches, malaise, uh, not being able to think clearly, sometimes more severe. And we've been in that era since, right up till today, where uh, the era has been defined by buildings that are no longer designed for people, as crazy as that sounds. So this is the problem that Joe Allen is trying to solve. How do you make buildings that put people first? To figure out the solution to that problem, Joe does a lot of deep forensic investigation of what's going wrong in buildings. If you're one of Joe Allen's students at Harvard Chan School, you should expect that at some point you're going to be handed a hard hat and led into the bells of a multi-story building to learn how its systems work. That pounding the pavement approach came from Joe's first career as a private investigator in New York City. My father was a homicide detective. It was a kind of a family business. And then he left and I ran the company for a couple of years. Well, so that's probably where my interest in forensics comes from. And so the forensic investigations of sick buildings felt a lot of like what I had done my whole life. I kind of grew up doing um, surveillance and, uh, and undercover work and, and you know, an- analyzing uh, documents, looking for facts and patterns and trends. And so it's just a different application of that into health. So could we walk into a building and instantly deduce that it's a sick building? Um, not necessarily. I mean, there are some things that you would see or detect right away, right? If the, We describe these places as stuffy or stale, or maybe you detect some a smell that isn't quite right. So we have our own senses that we should and do trust that are tips that something isn't quite right in the space. For my class on healthy buildings at the the School of Public Health here, we take students out and we've gone into buildings, uh, sometimes brand new buildings side by side. And there's one you walk in and there's a visceral reaction from every student. Something's not right in there. Don't know what it is at first instance, but we know it's not right. You walk into the adjacent building and it's, you want to work in that building. But that's not necessarily enough information to tell us how working or living in a building long term affects our health. As you walk into a building, how do you know it's it's good for your long-term health? You don't know. For example, you know, how do you know that it that they've made good decisions in terms of the products they choose and whether or not it has chemicals in them that interfere with your hormone system? Well, you can't detect that. You wouldn't know uh, unless you know something about the organization and their principles. It's an organization that puts the health of people first. I mean, that's that's kind of scary because a lot of us we don't have a choice about what building we're going to work in. We show up to the first day of work and that's where we're going to go. And what you're saying is that we kind of have to trust not just the people we work for, but then the landlord, the developer, um, all of the people who have created the built environment in which we live, most of whom we have zero contact with. I mean, how, how do we um, as a society, motivate all of these different entities, all these different commercial entities to do the right thing and to change the way they build. Yeah, I mean, th- that's the crux of it. And, and really, it's one of the reasons we, we wrote the book is to say, you know, we shouldn't be competing on the health of different buildings. Healthy buildings should be the norm, not the exception. So you don't even have to think about it, right? We should just be designing these correctly uh, right up front. Joe says one solution to bad indoor air is just giving people more objective information via low-cost sensors that allow people to measure the air quality around them. Another is to bring more of the outdoors indoors. Really what's happening in a building that doesn't have operable windows or windows you can open is that the air is coming in from the outside through, uh, through a duct, a vent. And there it goes through your mechanical 
system, your air conditioning and filtration system. It's going to get filtered. It's going to get conditioned, either heated up or cooled down, and then it gets distributed and delivered around the building. Now, that system is actually influencing a lot of what's going on in the building. So most times, in many buildings, they are underventilating. They're not bringing enough outdoor air. Without good ventilation, chemicals build up in the air. Those chemicals vary. They could be VOCs, which could come from burning fuels, cleaning fluids, or paints. Bioeffluents, those are chemicals released by the human body, so imagine a stinky bathroom. Or just carbon dioxide. And spending a lot of time breathing in these chemicals with no outside air coming in can lead to that sick building syndrome we talked about earlier, where people experience headaches, malaise, and an inability to think clearly. Buildings across the U.S. are chronically underventilated. And we know when you bring in more outdoor air, you reduce things like sick building syndrome. You get improved cognitive function performance. When buildings are underventilated, underventilated people are more likely to miss school and work. Of course, if your outdoor air is polluted, that might be a little concerning. So buildings also need to factor in filtration. If you think about a place that is an area with high outdoor air pollution, or the California wildfires recently, right? You think, well, I'm bringing in all that outdoor air. Is that okay? Well, it is if you also have good filters, right? You're bringing in that outdoor air, you're conditioning it, cooling it, heating it, but you also are cleaning, you're filtering that air. If you have a low-grade filter... Um, you're not doing much. But if you have a high-grade filter, you can remove a large percent of the outdoor air pollution before it gets distributed to the people in the building through that vent in your office that you're now looking at. Joe recommends a multi-layered approach to improving indoor air quality. But one of the biggest problems Joe identifies in his book is that the standard for indoor air quality is based around building codes for engineers, not around public health. But the, the standard is actually the, called the standard for acceptable indoor air quality. Acceptable. Well, I don't find that acceptable. You shouldn't find that acceptable. We want healthy indoor air quality. And so one of the pushes we're making is to let's change this standard. Instead of a minimum standard for you know, an acceptable limit, let's target a healthy air quality standard. And then we don't have to think about it so much about what's coming into our buildings. Joe thinks that the pandemic is actually the right moment for employees to speak up and demand that their workplaces have better air quality. People are really reluctant to get back into work, right? And, and so the, these business owners in particular know they have to do something different to satisfy the demand coming from employees who say, I'm not going back to work unless it's a healthy building, right? That makes sense. Who would want to go back to a building that's not a healthy building at this point? Nobody. So that demand can also come from lawyers or people who live in buildings just start asking about these things. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Joe has consulted with a wide variety of organizations about their reopening plans, from the Massachusetts Supreme Court to Broadway theaters to public schools. And actually, some of the same recommendations he's been making around healthy buildings, bringing in outside air, upping filtration, they can help reduce the spread of airborne particles carrying the novel coronavirus. Typical filters in a building capture particles, and that's particles from outdoor air pollution. It's particles from indoor air pollution. When you're cooking over a stove, for example, you generate particles. Um, and it's also biological particles, so viral particles in respiratory droplets. So the filters are actually capturing this through physical mechanisms. So it's going to remove all of those types of particles. Joe also created guidelines for schools, and public schools in the U.S. have to overcome some enormous hurdles when it comes to creating healthy classrooms. 
because we've underinvested in our school buildings for decades. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos two years ago was on 60 Minutes. And, and during that interview, she gave a quote. She said, we need to be investing in students, not in school buildings. Well, we should be funding and investing in students, not in school school buildings, not in institutions, not in systems. And well, so of course we should be investing in students, but it shows the disconnect that an investment in the school building is an investment in the students and the teachers. Of course it is. Of course it is. Just like there's a link between sick office buildings and underperforming workers, there's a connection between how schools are built and how students learn. We wrote a report a couple of years ago where we looked at 200 scientific studies, more than 200, showing that the school building influences student health, student thinking, and student performance, even on reading comprehension, test scores. You know, I'm a parent, I have three kids, but think about the questions we ask about schools. Well, what's the student-teacher ratio? What's the curriculum going to look like? How's my kid going to get there? Are there sports, right? No one ever asks about the building. No one ever does. No one even asks, do the windows open in the classroom, right? And so we, we've neglected it as parents, as administrators, as society, as a government that doesn't fund this, as our secretaries of education ignore the, the role of the building. There's a single person at the Department of Education whose responsibility is this. We don't have like a, the director of you know, school buildings who's responsible for healthy school buildings. Um, and it's a big problem. We've underinvested. That's why during a crisis like this, this is when it really is exposed. During the pandemic, Joe has been involved with schools in a number of ways, including developing a free detailed report that administrators can use to guide their reopening plans. Joe, like many public health experts, says that in places where community transmission of COVID-19 is low, getting kids back into in-person school should be a top priority two things have to happen. One, you can't go back unless community spread is low. Second one, it can't be schools as usual. Uh, masking should be universal, everyone wearing a mask, you know, and, and a whole host of other strategies I can talk about. But since we're talking about air quality, I'll mention the one that often gets neglected, and that is ventilation and filtration. Imagine that one person in a classroom is asymptomatic, but infected with COVID-19 and shedding the virus. When that person talks or eats or sneezes, small particles that we can't see will carry the virus through the air. Well, anything that gets into the air is going to stay in the air until three, one of three things happens. It's diluted due to ventilation, it's cleaned out of the air through filtration, or it's deposited in the lungs. And of course, we're trying to eliminate that last one. So wearing a mask is key, but then the other thing is anything that's in the air, you want to dilute or clean out of the air quickly. That's why schools need to increase their ventilation rate and supplement that with high-efficiency filtration. These changes won't happen overnight, but Joe is hopeful that changes are on the horizon in the public and private sector. I am hopeful because um, in January and February before the pandemic hit, I could have named every company and researcher, you know, really focusing on healthy buildings. And since COVID, it has exploded. Companies are creating healthy building divisions. Uh, Companies are asking for this. They're rewriting leases around this. They're redesigning new buildings around this idea of healthy buildings. So change is underway. And I I just, my hope is that um, this leads to a permanent rethinking of our built environment and, and buildings. 
And Joe thinks this opens up new avenues for people who understand and care about public health to influence the buildings we live and work in during the pandemic and beyond. And so I think we have a big role to play in public health. I I like working with businesses, too. I think they have a big role to play and we can actually partner up and advance and define this next era. Since the pandemic started, I can't look at an air vent without thinking about what I'm breathing and where it's coming from. I hope Joe Allen is right that this pandemic will spur on big changes in how we build and that we'll all be able to breathe a little easier. We want to hear from you. Has your office, school, or apartment building made changes since the pandemic? How have those changes affected your health? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at HarvardChanSBH. You can read more about Joe Allen's research, along with all the latest news from Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health at hsph.harvard.edu news. To read reports from Joe Allen and his colleagues, visit forhealth.org. That's F-O-R-H-E-A-L-T-H. We're better off with our team, Chief Communications Officer Todd Datz, Senior Digital Designer Ben Wallace, Production Assistant Brian Lee. I'm Anna Fisher-Pinkert, host and producer of Better Off, a podcast of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health.